Hosea chapter 10, verse number 12. Now, you're probably listening to me thinking, now that fellow's from Santa Clara. That's where I live. I'm not from there. I'm from West Virginia. Any of you ever been to West Virginia before? I'm good. Got some cultured people in here. I appreciate that. I always say whenever you go to West Virginia and go to the zoo, we don't just tell you what's in the cage. We'll tell you how to cook it, too. But uh, <laughs> I preached here last spring, uh, and it was all online. You, you all weren't here. That was the ugliest crowd I've ever preached to. It's just the staff guys here, you know. <laughs> but three of them got saved. That was a blessing. But uh, we, had a, we had a great service, services with them. But I'm glad to meet you folks as well. And I got to see some of you popping up there online during the, the live stream and things. And you were saying amen. Don't just do that on the internet now. You help me in person too, okay? <laughs> now the men say it. No, I'm kidding. That was good. All right, Hosea chapter number 10. Verse number 12. I figured I better get all the humor out because we're not going to have any from here on. All right, Hosea chapter 10, verse number 12. Very familiar revival verse. It says, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. That's a pretty good deal, by the way. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. If you were to read the entire chapter in Hosea chapter 10, the Bible describes Israel very negatively. Israel's an empty vine, it says in the first verse. Israel has a heart that's divided, it says. In verse number 13, the Bible said they had plowed in wickedness and reaped iniquity. It also said in verse 12, their heart was like fallow ground, soil that was barren and so hard that if you were to sow seed upon it, it would never take root. It wouldn't produce a thing. Hosea is living in that hour where there wasn't need for a debate or a vote on it. The consensus is in. They needed a revival. They needed God to meet with them again. And he makes a statement in verse number 12, and I want you to see it. Three words. He says, it is time. God is saying through his preacher, you need revival, and here's when you need it, right now. You don't need it a month from now or a week from now. It's not that you needed it last year, though that might have been the case. But right now, as you stand, you need revival. I don't think I have to try to convince you of that tonight, that where we stand this evening, we need revival. And I'm not talking about the national outlook. I'm talking about my personal introspective examination of my own heart. I'll be honest with you. I need revival. I might have had it yesterday, but I need it again today. And I want to preach to you a little bit on that thought tonight. It's time. It's time. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for power to preach. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit, please. Pray that you'd stir us. Help us to have more than just a good meeting. I pray that you would meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Maybe you've heard the illustration before preachers use it quite often. There's an infidel, a lost man in a certain town, an atheist. And the preacher had invited him to church many times, but he wouldn't come. One night, the church literally caught on fire and was burning to the ground. The preacher was racing toward the church, and as he ran toward the church, that atheist was also running toward the church. He looked at that atheist and said, I can't believe you're finally coming to church. He said, I would have been here sooner, but it's never been on fire till now. Without question, I think the word revival has been made the victim of private interpretation and fluid definition, maybe more than any other Bible word. We hear that word mentioned in our pulpits. I've seen that word printed on flyers. We like to post that word on social media. I see people say things like this. We're having a Great revival. I hear people talking about being in a revival meeting. If you drive across our country, you'll see church marquees lit up, and they'll say from such and such date to this date in big, bold block letters, we're going to have revival. 
I've listened to people give testimonies. And they'll say things like this. Boy, God sure did meet with us. I went to church sad, but I'm leaving happy. We had revival. I've heard people say, that sure was good singing. We had revival. I've had people say, boy, well, we sure did have an exciting service. I think we had revival. And I think to some, an amen in a service means revival. To others, a big crowd means revival. To some folks, if they take up a big offering, that means revival. But it's a far cry from somebody like Charles Finney who would get off of his horse and climb up in a barn loft and wrap himself in that saddle blanket and pray in the cold of Ohio and pray till the sweat would fall from his body. It's far different than a John Knox who would pray, Lord, give me Scotland or else I die. I believe it's safe to say just from observation. And I think I can say this and be fairly accurate. I traveled 14 years constantly in evangelism, preached 400 times a year. I think I can say this. The modern definition of revival in the mind of most Christians in our generation is about on par with a high school pep rally. They think if they had their emotions stirred or their ears tickled or they had a little entertaining service, then they've somehow met with God. Most Christians, they want the blessing of revival, but don't really want to experience the truth of revival. I want to ask us the question tonight. Do we really want a Bible revival or do we just want to be safe, blessed and comfortable? I'm afraid that most folks want just enough of God to get by, but not enough of God to get right. In these days, we've traveled through very strange situations. We've battled with a strange disease. And it's sad to see that many Christians have fallen out rather than falling on their face before an almighty God. If you read the Bible, you find out God used days like these not to make Christians quit, but to get them to fall on their face and cry out to God that they might have revival. Can I say that if this doesn't do it, what's it going to take to do it? Is this not enough to stir our hearts that we desperately need God? Our hope can't be in government. That's a good place for a free amen. Our hope can't be in government. Our hope can't be in the economy. Our hope can't even be in our physical help. Our hope must be anchored in God. I fear that we want the crown but not the cross. We want victory, but no battle. We want the field to bear fruit, but we don't want to break up the fallow ground. We want to rejoice, but not bear reproach. We want happiness, but no holiness. We want God's favor, but we don't want God's friendship. You give the average Christian a Wi-Fi connection, a comfortable place to live, a decent salary, and a little bit of freedom, and they don't want much of God. We can't survive that way in 2020. We must have God. I think when we consider revival, we have to understand we're talking about something far greater than man can promote, man can put on, or man can program. Revival is a great thing. But don't forget this, revival is a God thing. And we need something more than just to walk in and think we're going to flip a switch and see God move. Revival is not the work of man. Revival is wholly the work of God. You can schedule dinner on the grounds, but you can't schedule revival. You can schedule a missions conference, but you can't schedule revival. You can schedule Mother's Day and Father's Day, but you can't schedule revival. In the beginning, the world was wrapped in darkness. The only thing that could make light permeate that darkness in the early days of creation was God himself. And the only thing in our generation that's going to let the light of God break through is God himself. Revival doesn't come and leave you the way that it found you. Revival is more than just a good series of sermons in a church service. But revival revolutionizes every area of the Christian life. 
I'm saying revival revolutionizes the prayer life. Revival revolutionizes your Bible study life. Revival revolutionizes your soul winning life. Revival is going to revolutionize your separation life. Revival revolutionizes your love and compassion and mercy and grace. And it makes you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. When we say, when we have revival, you'll say goodbye to five minute prayer meetings. When you really have revival, you'll say goodbye to empty altars. When you say, say, I really have revival, you'll say goodbye to dry eyes in the service. When you really have revival, you won't have silented praise. When you really have revival, it's like a hint of heaven here on earth. It's not the work of man. It's the work of God. And it doesn't come from simply seeking revival. Revival comes from seeking Him. It's time for God to work. Revival brings tears before it brings shouts. Revival breaks down before it builds up. Revival casts out before it blesses. Revival revolutionizes, I said, every area of the Christian life and the local church. I think about the hymn we sing it often, Revive Us Again. Fill each heart with thy love. May soul be rekindled with fire from above. And that's exactly where it comes from. Revival is more than my emotions being stirred. Revival is not something I work up. It's something God sends down. Evan Roberts was instrumental in the Welsh revival, and he said the power of the revival in South Wales is not of men, but all of God. I'm not the source of this revival. I'm only one agent in what is growing to be a multitude. In Psalm 85, 6, the psalmist said, Wilt thou not revive us again? Isaiah 64, 1, he said, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down. In our text verse, he said, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. So if we have revival in these days, and I'm praying we will, it won't be because of me, and it won't be because of you. It'll be because God blesses us with that spirit of revival. Revival is not, I'll say it again, not just a slick series of sermons. Revival's not just a bunch of good special singing. I'm for all that. Revival's not just uh, going to church Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Revival's not just having the hair on the back of your neck standing on end. I mean, saying amen and smiling. By the way, you're allowed to do that tonight for sure. Hey, the revival's not just that. Revival's an intrusion, an invasion of heaven here on earth. Can I say you can get entertained at the ball field and you can have your emotions stirred watching a movie, but only God can send revival. And that's what we need. Revival means to renew. Revival means to restore. Revival means to give life a second time. You read your Bible and you find we have the premise of revival, but also the promise of revival in our generation. Revival happened individually. Revival happened regionally. And revival happened nationally. Samson saw revival individually. David saw revival individually. Elijah saw revival individually. Paul saw revival regionally. Ezra saw revival nationally. A person or a nation might live and die and never have it, but doesn't mean they couldn't. There's a lot of things about God I don't understand. There's a lot of things about God that I can't comprehend. But there's one thing I can tell you tonight without reservation or hesitation or quivering lip or stammering tongue, and it is this. God is able to send revival. God is interested in sending revival, and we could have revival in our generation. As a born-again person tonight, I can testify and tell you I always have spiritual life. When you are born again, where I'm from, they say born again. When you are born again, you are birthed into the family of God by the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible tells us, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. So you always have spiritual life. But listen to me, though you always have spiritual life, your life is not always spiritual. 
I always have spiritual life, but my life is not always spiritual. And even the most spiritual person in this room tonight, the most spiritual person filling a padded seat, all of us would have to be honest and say we have ebb and flow in our Christian life. Sometimes we live on the mountain. Sometimes we're in the valley. Sometimes we're on fire. Sometimes we're just smoking. Same in right there. But anyway, sometimes we're excited about the things of God, and sometimes we're rather apathetic. And there are moments in our life when we need God to meet with us fresh and anew and revive our soul and our spirit. Jonah ran from God, but he hadn't always run from God. He just ran into a moment when he needed revival. David fell into sin, but he hadn't always been conquered by his flesh. He just ran into a situation where he desperately needed revival. Peter backslid and went fishing. He hadn't always been a backslider, but he did. He just had a moment in his life when he needed revival. Moses lost his temper, but he hadn't always acted like a mother-in-law. He just did it that time. He ought, felt good. My mother-in-law's a long way away. I'm going to preach against her all week. She'll probably watch this and remember at Christmas. But he hadn't always lost his temper, but he lost his temper on an occasion. What happened? He ran into a moment when he needed revival. And our command from the Bible is to grow in grace. But the sad reality is it's easier to grow cold on God than it is to grow in grace. And when those times come and when those moments happen, you ought not fall out. You don't cloak it up with some pharisaical you know, uh, facade and say, I'm doing all right. Just get honest with God. Confess. Confess the need, get right with God, declare it is time, and seek His face for revival. I'd rather never go to church again to go to church and it be dead. Hello, I'd rather never go to church again than have a funeral for Jesus every service. I don't want to be cold and callous. I don't want to be dead and complacent. I want God to be real and God to be fresh and God to move. How do I get it? I must have revival. What kind of time is Hosea living in? He said, it is time to seek the Lord. Hosea, you, lit, you read it and study it out. Hosea is living in a day. And some of you probably just tonight found out there's a book called Hosea. But anyway, Hosea is living in a time that wasn't very God-friendly. I think you'd agree with me that we're living in a day that's not very God-friendly. Last time I checked, they weren't uh, cheering us on for having church. They're trying to make it as hard as possible where we are, especially to have church. The uh, strip clubs and the marijuana dispensaries can stay open, but you can't go inside your church building. You can protest and burn down buildings and destroy property and gather without masks on, and they don't arrest anybody for that. But if you fill up a church pew, then you're going to go to prison. Hosea's living today is not very God-friendly. I think we are as well. But you know what Hosea said? He didn't say it's time to quit. He said it's time to have revival. Hosea was living in a day where they weren't really spiritual giants. Most men were walking away from God. Folks weren't having all-night prayer meetings. They weren't attending week-long preaching services. They weren't saying, give me that mountain. They were saying, get God out of here. But you know what Hosea did? He didn't complain and post it on his Facebook page of how bad it was. Hosea said, it's time to seek the Lord. It's time to have revival. He's preaching to people that were unfaithful to God. The Bible talks about him playing the part of a harlot, running away, being unfaithful to the Lord. But Hosea said, hey, that sounds like a great time to me to have revival. And if you were to ask the average theologian of Hosea's day, and you ask the average pessimistic preacher in our day, they'll give you every reason in the world why we can't have revival. But can I say the problem is you're looking too much down here, not enough up there, and you're not... Listen, you compare it to what you can do, it's going to look like it's hopeless. 
If you compare this thing to what we can accomplish in our own ability, it's going to look like we're on the losing end of things. But I said it on Wednesday at our church. I read the back of the Bible. We win this thing. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. We're on the winning side. And when I compare it to God, everything is small. You ask the average theologian, can you have revival in 2021? And they'll say no. But that's because they don't know much anything else. They just sit in their office and read and breathe in dust and fight off the moths all day. But listen, you get along with God, it'll convince we could have revival in this generation. It's time. There's three marks that characterize Hosea's day. Number one, it was spiritual apostasy. Number two, moral corruption. Number three, civic anarchy. By the way, those three things always go together and in that order. When you have apostasy, it leads to moral corruption. We complain about the condition of America, but it's because of the sorry condition of the church in America. And when you have a sorry church, you get a sorry country. And when you have a sorry church in a sorry country, you can better believe you don't have corrupt politics. That's why it's so important the church doesn't change or compromise or fold or drop the standard. Why? Because it's the only moral compass our country has left. All these things resulted in the hearts of God's people becoming hard as fallow ground. Fallow ground would be about like trying to sow seed in your parking lot out here. You'd be better off to sow seed on asphalt than sow seed on fallow ground. Fallow ground is ground that hadn't been turned over in a while. has all kinds of trash in it. There are roots in it. You have to take the plow, the farmer would, and drive it down deep. Very violent thing, just turning that soil over and getting all that trash out. But the condition of the heart of God's people, God looks on them and said, your hearts are like fallow ground. All of these things Jose is battling with, people that didn't want God, uh, people who were uh, perverting the truth of God. He was living in a day of drunkenness and idolatry and immorality. But I like what he does. He doesn't get in his spiritual bunker, bite his fingernails to the quick, get a basketball-sized ulcer in his belly and talk about, woe is me, put up the white flag and surrender till Jesus comes. He said, it's time we turn this thing around. It's time we have revival. He didn't look at his hour and get doubtful. He looked at his hour and thought God could turn this thing around. He didn't get fatalistic. He had faith in God. He didn't outline the reasons why it couldn't be done. He looked at God and said, with God all things are possible. He said, it is time to seek the Lord. Can I say, I don't know. There might be some homes represented in this church right now that won't be together this time next year if you don't have revival. There might be some young people here tonight. You won't be in church a year from now. You'll be out in the world somewhere if you don't have revival. There might be families within driving distance of your church that they're lost right now. and They'll be lost a year from now if some of you don't have a revival personally in your heart towards soul winning. What might God do if we had revival? What won't get done if we don't? Right now in my heart, I believe it's time. I don't believe it's not the time. I believe it is the time. I know it's time individually. I don't know about you, but I get tired of living on the cold end of the spectrum spiritually. Not even just the cold end, but I don't want to stay the same that I was yesterday or the day before. Plateauing and stagnation are precursors to dying. I don't want to be where I was. I want to always advance in my walk with God. I believe it's time individually. I also know it's time corporately. I told this to our church, I believe that we stand at the crossroads of great opportunity for God. I believe God has brought us to this point, to this place, to do great things. I don't believe God is done with us. I don't believe God is done with you and I. I believe God still has a great work to do in our generation. But we've got to make a decision which one of these roads we're going to take. We can go down this road of great potential and possibility for God, or we can go down this road of the average church that's content to be as dead as they've always been and just ride the thing out to the rapture. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like the other dead churches in town. I don't want to be like every other dead preacher. I don't want to be mediocre and half-cocked and half-baked. I mean, I want God to give us all that God can. I believe God is still on the throne and still has all power. And listen, God is not confined by the clock. God is not confined by the calendar, but he gave us this concept of time. He gave us a concept of time so that we could understand the way God works and when God wants to do something. And I believe with God, it's always time. But I do believe there are seasons in our life when it's just very evident that right now, more than ever, we need God to work. I believe if you're just to take the pulse of our nation, it's weakening. I mean, I believe the America as we know it on its last leg. I believe we need an awakening in our nation. I don't want to get too political, but I didn't vote for who won. <laughs> anyway, was that too political already? Uh, anyway, but, but I mean, just in the, the opening weeks, you see what's going on. Per perverts put in high places, right? just laws and different things that made American sense overturned and changed. And can I say, it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. That doesn't discourage me. It's supposed to happen. Our redemption draweth nigh. But boy, wouldn't it be something to see that wave of awakening one more time wash across our country? You say, well, it can't be done. I'm glad I didn't say that in 1700s like you referenced. I'm glad somebody thought God could do it then. I believe God could do it now. I don't believe God has brought us to where he's brought us to just to leave us here and squander till the rapture. I believe we can do and so much the more as we see the day approaching, but it's not going to happen if we don't see revival. It's time to get hungry for God. It's time somebody gets a burden for lost people again. It's time somebody gets sick of sin and wants to get thoroughly right with the Lord. It's time somebody begs God for his power. There's got to be somebody. There's got to be some church. There's going to be some place that puts a stake in the ground and says, we're just going to go on for the Lord. Our culture uh, is so frail. Our country is so frail right now our churches are so frail we must have god work it's time to seek the lord i think about evan roberts i mentioned him a little bit ago evan roberts was a young man in his early 20s and god used him in the welsh revival and evan roberts would preach and they say that revival swept through that country in such a way that the the farmers had to retrain their mules they'd cuss those mules so much those mules only knew how to respond to cuss words they've been good baptist church members but anyway I like to hunt. And people say, why do you like to hunt? I say, because I'm a Baptist preacher. And if you're a Baptist preacher, you've got to shoot something once in a while or you're going to go crazy. But anyway, um, just they had to reach. They had to retrain. I, 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 I won't run that. I had something just go through here and I'm just going to let it go. But anyway, <laughs> I had some names and I'll not mention protect the guilty. So, but they had to retrain the mules. They'd custom so much. The revival started really with youth groups, young people. A youth pastor, a youth worker was talking to his youth group and he asked them the question, what does Jesus mean to you? And just like most youth groups at first, it was dead because nobody wants to look uncool and everything. They're trying to fit in. And then he asked it again, what does Jesus mean to you? You ever thought about that? What does Jesus mean to you? He didn't say, what does your church mean to you? Or what does this or that preacher mean to you? So what does Jesus mean to you? Finally, a young lady spoke up and said, I want to say this. I love Jesus with my whole heart. When she said that, it broke the rest of those young people and revival sparked through. I'm glad that they didn't say, you know what? It's not time. Whole country of wealth given to drunkenness and idolatry. They said, it is time. John Knox preached in the 1500s. Scotland wrapped up in Catholicism. They worshiped idols. Mary, Queen of Scots, she said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the standing armies of Europe. He prayed that prayer I mentioned a year ago, uh, a little bit ago. He said, Lord, I, I pray that you would uh, give me a uh, Scotland or I'll die. Give me Scotland or I'll die. I'm glad he didn't say, you know what? This country's so far gone, so far gone into idolatry. The leadership is so corrupt, it'll never happen. I'm glad he got a burden, believe God. It's all revival. 
I think about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards preaching in America in the 1700s. Jonathan Edwards would just stand in his pulpit and very monotone preacher, sort of, sort of like, like I am, you know, just really reserved and quiet, just read from his manuscript. He got a burn for revival and he locked himself in an upper room and he prayed for three days and three nights. He said, he said, Lord, if I give you myself, would you give me New England? If I give you myself, would you give me New England? And for three days and nights, he fasted and prayed that prayer. And then he went to his pulpit and preached a message. He'd written out word for word on a piece of paper, sinners in the hands of an angry God. You ever heard that before? He read that and revival broke out and people began to get saved. A man named George Whitfield, Anglican preacher, came over to preach to the Indians down in Georgia, began to make preaching tours throughout the colonies and preach. And he'd preach and Benjamin Franklin was a big fan of George Whitfield. Benjamin Franklin said you could hear George Whitfield preach a mile away. He said you didn't measure his volume by the yard. You measured it by the acre. He'd stand out on the back of a wagon and preach to 30,000 people and folks would get saved. I'm glad he didn't say, you know what, it's not the day. It's not the time. I'm glad those men thought, you know what, it's time. If ever there were going to be revival, it ought to be a revival right now. It is time. George Whitfield preached a revival meeting in Connecticut, and a young man got saved named Shubal Stearns. If you ever study Baptist history, Shubal Stearns got born again and became a separatist Baptist and began to travel down through the South, planting churches in Virginia and North Carolina, and that's where we got the Bible Belt from there in the South because of that. I'm glad he didn't say, you know what, it's not time. He said, it is time. I think about D.L. Moody, who began his ministry during the Civil War in America. You ever think about that? I mean, the nation's divided and brother against brother. And I'm glad that young man, who wasn't even a preacher at first, was renting out space in a church building, renting a pew out, and he'd bring in what we call bus kids nowadays. He'd bring them in in a horse and carriage. And uh, you ever heard the preacher talking about that? I forget the preacher it was. Somebody's complaining about the bus minister. He said, I hate running these buses. It gets oil all over the parking lot. He said, well, Dio Moody used to bring him in on a horse and carriage. What do you reckon they got on their parking lot? But anyway... <laughs> I mean, he'd rent out a pew and he'd fill it up with, with these children from different parts of the city. And then God used them and he started a, 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 a school in, the, in Massachusetts. And then he started a, a church and school there in Chicago as well. And God used them in a great way. A million souls, I think, saved through his ministry. I'm glad that man didn't look at the country divided. And then the late 1800s, all the things going on and say, it's not time. I'm glad he believed God and said, it is time to seek the Lord till he come and are in righteousness appointed. I think Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday began preaching early 1900s. He was a drunk. It was a professional baseball player. Stole more bases than anybody else at that time. And uh, he was in Chicago. And he was sitting on the street corner there in Chicago by the Pacific Garden Mission. And a preacher came out and was street preaching. And he heard the gospel and got born again. Got saved. Billy Sunday began to preach all over the place. I mean, just animated. He'd race back and forth across that platform. They said he'd have a knot hole in this wooden platform and get down his hands and knees and look through it and dare the devil to come up through that hole and fight him like a man. I like that. He'd jump up on his pulpit, spread his legs out over the top of it like that. I've got a picture of him in my office about five by five or something picture of him stretched out like this. I've tried to do it and got a cramp. Horrible. I mean, he just preaching. I mean, just letting it have it. I mean, he, he said, whenever I die, he told his wife, he said, when I die, I want you to skin me and take my skin and make it into a drum. Then walk up and down the streets of this town telling the devil that Billy Sunday still lives and the devil's still running. He said, beat it all the way. He'd preach against liquor and shut down bars and the mafia weren't him killed. But he kept preaching through the roaring 20s. He said, it's bad today. It's always bad been bad.
bad. It's supposed to be bad. This world's headed for hell. But it's a great day to have revival. We just need somebody who has faith in God. I think about the Revolutionary War. He mentioned that. The revolutionary soldiers, and then they got so stirred up through the revival, the Great Awakening, that they had a slogan. They said, the only king we have is King Jesus. Wouldn't that be good in our day if Christians again would say, hey, King Jesus, that's who we worship. If America knew there's only one on the throne, and Jesus is his name. I was able to preach in Oberlin, Ohio in 2015 in the Charles Finney Auditorium. Charles Finney was a great preacher. Started a college in Oberlin, totally liberal now. Uh, in fact, I preached there the week after uh, Trump won the election. They had tents set up on every corner of the college campus, giving out free hugs, kittens, and security blankets to those liberal college students that were having a meltdown that Trump won the election. Only thing that made it worse was that we were there preaching at the same time. That was a bad week for those snowflake people. But anyway, we were there. But I read about Charles Finney, Charles Finney. Oh, I, I, I love those people. But anyway, Charles Finney um, was preaching in Utica, New York. He walked through a mill during the day. He'd preach as he's walking through that mill. And they say just him passing by the workers brought them under such conviction, they fell out of their chairs onto the ground and cried out in repentance to get right with God. He was preaching in another town in New York, and he couldn't remember the name of the town. He said, how is that possible? You start preaching about every other night traveling, you'll forget. I preached in one church and said, I'm so glad to be at here, I can't, you know, I'm enjoying preaching for Brother Becker this week. But anyway, uh, that's next week. But, but he was preaching, and he's preaching on how God rained down fire on Sodom, and how God destroyed Sodom. People were shaking in their chair. I mean, just under conviction, great revival broke out. After the service, he said, that was a perfect message. He said, thank you. And they said, you're in Sodom, New York. That was the name of the town. He didn't even know it. But those men knew God, walked with God. I say, say this, Manteca, California is no different than Scotland, no different than Wales, no different than New England. It's no different than Chicago or Northfield, Massachusetts. It's no different than any of these places, Utica, New York. The only thing that separates us from just reading about it and experiencing it is in those situations, there were some people there that believed it's time. Now, you are at a crossroads just like every other church in America and in the world is, and personally, just like every other Christian is. God has not brought us through what he's brought us through just to keep us how we've always been. Brother Evan traveled with me back in the fall to a couple of meetings, and I, I told the churches there, I said, here's, here's my fear. We've wanted so long to get back in church, you know, when we're all shut out and away from each other. Couldn't wait to get back in. Wouldn't it be a shame if we came back and we're just as dead as we were before the shutdown? Just as apathetic, business as usual? I don't want that. That man said, I'd have been here sooner, but the church has never been on fire till now. I wonder what God would do with the church that just got on fire for him. It's time. What is revival? Quickly, and I'll close. Number one, revival is a renewed consciousness of sin. Lord, see if, if there's any wicked way in me, show me. If, if there's any sin in my life, reveal it to me. And that, listen, the closer we get to Christ, maybe we don't struggle with some of the big sins that we always preach about, but those small sins ought to feel big. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the cleaner you ought to get, but the dirtier you're going to feel about whatever sin there is left in your life. When's the last time you found yourself on an altar broken? Not because of somebody else's problem, because you had some. So revival is a, a, a renewed consciousness of sin. Number two, revival is a, a, not just a fresh conviction or consciousness of sin, but also then a, it's going to be a confession of sin. I believe every time we go to church, if you're halfway tuned in, God's going to dial your number. I go to church, man, I try to stay as close to God as I can, but can I, can I be honest with you? I get convicted every time I go. It doesn't matter what the preacher's preaching on. It can be Mother's Day. 
Bless God, you women aren't being the right kind of mother. I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm a horrible mother. You know what I mean? I just got a conviction. <laughs> and I'm going to go ahead and confess it to you. I don't have to. You're not my priest, but I'm a horrible mother. Uh, but anyway, probably the worst mother in the room tonight. I get under conviction about everything. What bothers me is not people that use the altar. What bothers me is people who never use an altar. And I'm not saying you have to do it every service, and I'm not saying you can't get right with God in your seat, but I'm saying there ought to be a time when you go to church and God actually invades your life, speaks to your heart about something. Revivals of renewed conviction of sin or consciousness of sin, revivals of confession of sin, but thank God next, when you confess your sin, there's a cleansing of sin. The reason why some folks can't enjoy church is because they won't just get right with God. Billy Sunday had a big banner up behind him when he had preached his revival meetings, and that's all it said on it was get right with God. Let me give you the secret to revival. Here it is. Get right with God. I don't want to get, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to kill the meeting tonight, but he doesn't really even need me to come if y'all just get right with God. <laughs> if everybody just be honest with God, we usually already know what it is. The Holy Spirit of God does a real good job of being the Holy Spirit of God. And, and he'll speak to us very directly and very personally and put his finger on. The problem is when, like I said, when God lays it, we don't respond. Confess it. That brings cleansing. And then here's the great news. When you confess it and God cleanses you, it clears the path in your heart for God to work in a way that he either hadn't worked in a long time or maybe he hadn't ever worked before. I try. My wife is a picky eater. She just is. She'll probably come one night after she lets me back in the house and we make up. But anyway, my wife's a picky eater. I try to get her to taste things. We live in California now. We've got to branch out. We're a minority in our church. I mean, it's not all chicken nuggets and french fries, you know. We have all kinds of good stuff to eat now. Our adopted family is all Filipino. Every holiday is Filipino stuff, and they'll lie to you about what that food is. And it's bad. some of that, it hurt me. They told me, <laughs> I can preach this here because some of you all know, they told me it was chocolate soup. That is not chocolate at all. But anyway, I still tear up thinking about what I, whatever it was. <laughs> but my wife's a picky eater, and she'll probably outlive me because of it. But anyway, have you ever met somebody that's a picky eater? Point them out. Who is it? But anyway, you ever met somebody like that? Hey. Sir, hey, you need to get right with God. Don't worry about everybody else. That's, that's got to be a Padillo, right? Related or no? Yep. Ugly. All right. That's an ugly man right there. Anyway, I'm kidding. Beautiful. You're a beautiful man. All right. Just stay away from me. Have you ever tried to get somebody to taste something and they won't do it? And you know they're going to like it. Y'all have tried that before. Ice cream. You've got to be some kind of stupid not to like it. Ice cream is good, isn't it? I like chocolate ice cream. The only kind of ice cream I don't like is mint chocolate chip ice cream. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Not everybody can go to heaven. I don't like cho mint chocolate chip ice cream. If I wanted to eat that, then I'd just take a swig of Listerine <laughs> and get some vanilla ice cream and just go to town. <laughs> Why in the world? Come on now. I think if you like mint ice cream, you got to join this guy in that program. Whatever, we got to get you off of that in a hurry. God can give you victory over mint ice cream. I just don't like it. But I like ice cream, chocolate ice cream. I like uh, moose tracks. You ever heard of that? I like any kind of ice cream, just about except for mint chocolate chip ice cream. But anyway, my wife likes that. But I'm trying to get people to try. I, think about it. If I were to come up to this, you know, let's see, you got to try this ice cream. It's good. What kind do you like? I don't have all night. Chocolate ice cream. I'm just kidding. I like chocolate ice cream. She just woke up. I like chocolate ice cream. She doesn't like it. Well, you got to try it. She goes, I don't want it. 
My wife's like that. Just taste it. My wife, I don't like the way it smells. I'm not asking you to smell it. I'm asking you to taste it. Just try it. You're going to like it. I don't think so. Just eat it. You know what I mean? After a while, you're like, try a bite of this ice cream. Frustrating. I feel that way sometimes when I talk to Christian people about letting God work in their heart. I know there's going to have to be a little bit of honesty. By the way, let me go ahead and bust your bubble. We already know that you've got problems. You know how I know that? Because I got problems. Some of you might be problems, but anyway, we all have them. <laughs> but I feel that way sometimes at meetings like this where I'm trying to get people, just let God do his work in your heart. Don't worry about what so-and-so says or what so-and-so might think. If God spoke to you, then just come forward, get it right with God, and go out of this place. The best way to leave church is to say, I'm glad I listened to God. The worst way to go home is to say, I wish I would have listened to God. It's time. Why not us? Why not now? Why not this place? Why not you people? It could happen, but you got to let God have his way. I'm going to pray. The altar will be open. Just want to give you a thought on revival to start us off tonight. God spoke to your heart. You just come.